Hello gatherers, I do want to announce our first network event, the 365 Days of Movies Challenge. It's a challenge consisting of Eric, Evan, myself, and Tim, as we have to watch one movie a day for a whole year. 365 days, 365 movies. They have to be at least 45 minutes long from start to finish. The challenge will start on June 13th and will be very fun and especially irritating for us. If we miss a day, there's a punishment. From karaoke to prank videos to slap fights to wearing dog cones, we promise you, you'll be entertained with our misfortunes. Again, June 13th, the start of a year of craziness. Now on with the show. Welcome to the Indie Comics section. Join us as we take you through the pages of some of the best stories and art that is available in the comic book industry. From trivia to book discussions to interviews to insider looks, this is Indie Comics with Jeff. Welcome once again to another wacky and zany episode of Indie Comics. I am your host, Jeff, and I'm pretty sure you've heard me a time or two on The Gathering, on many a spot, and just whatever other shows you've had the pleasure of listening to. Today is April 12, 2016, and let us just see who else is with me here this fine day. This is Tyler from The Gathering. And, of course, this is Jeff. You guys all know me by now. Today we have a very special guest. We have Jeff Klein, and Jeff Klein is the founder of Darby Paw Productions and creator of the comic we are focusing on this month, Indestructible. Hello, Jeff. How are you guys doing? Oh, we are doing, doing wonderful well. today. And we just uh, we got some questions here, if you wouldn't mind uh, sitting down with us and, uh, and having a little bit to talk about. How about that? I'd be, I'd be happy to. That's wonderful. We love the happiness here. All right. <laughs> well, to start off with, um, can you tell us a little about um, how the creation of Indestructible came about. Yeah, um, you know, a lot of my life, the last 25 years, I've been spent working mostly in movies and television. Um, I've done a whole bunch of animated series over the years, so I'm always trying to come up with concepts for movies or TV series, and then every once in a while I have something that'll be ruminating in my head for a year or two, and I can't quite figure out what to do with it, and it won't go away, it's sort of like a migraine. Um, and Indestructible was one of those. Indestructible was one of those ideas that I just... Every couple of years, it just kept coming up and kept coming up. Um, and I was actually, uh, I was in production on one show or another and, and talking to some of my artist friends who were working on that series. And they were all doing some moonlighting in comic books. And it sort of dawned on me that this idea actually might work best in comics. Um, and so that was, that was the, the impetus finally to make it happen. Oh, that's just wonderful. I'm, that's I'm glad, awesome. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm, finally, I'm glad it came to fruition in that kind of sense. And it seems, doesn't really seem like some of the best ideas really come about through that way that they keep coming up over and over again and that you finally just have to make them happen. Yeah, like the, the ones that just kind of just eat at you. Especially yeah. like because we want to get into comedy and sketch, you know, sketch stuff. We're like, okay, can we do this? Or like, ah, it's, it's not a good idea. And like 10 days later, it's like, you want to do this. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, just, there's, there's probably a reason that it won't go away. I mean, you know. Yeah. It nags so, at you. It's pretty much, I think it's inside of you, and it pretty much just begs, hey, this has to be done. Whether you think it's going to be bad or not, it has to be done. <laughs> true. Exactly. All right. Well, that's, that's wonderful. And what do you believe Indestructible brings to the comic industry that other titles do not? And also, what makes that particular story unique, in your opinion? Um, you know, I definitely don't feel qualified to answer the first part of that question because I feel like nobody, there's no way for me to be aware of everything that's going on in comics and, and I don't even pretend to um, know as much about it as a lot of other people. Um, what I can say is 
you know, I came at comics probably with a slightly different point of view than some other people might in that um, I came into it as a fan when I was a kid, but I had actually lost touch with comic books for a while during those adult years. Okay. Um, and swinging back into them, I was sort of amazed at how good and how much good stuff was out there, especially with independent titles. Um, and that's kind of what got me fired up about doing Indestructible. Um, so really the only thing maybe that came to it that's unique is I was a bit of an outsider coming into it with a bit of an outsider's point of view, but the concept of the book is so much an insider's point of view of superheroes that that may have contributed to, if you think it feels a little bit original, that may be one of the reasons. That's exactly, well, I mean, I've, I just, like I said, I plowed through this thing in 30 minutes and I was looking at that cover art and I immediately was thinking like, you know what, I'm wondering if there, I may see something that I've seen here before. And then as soon as like the next 10 pages go by, I'm looking at something that I've never read before. And I'm like, yeah. this is just blowing me away here. And that's why I think I read through it in 30 minutes like that, just because <laughs> it was so fresh and inviting, like a new fresh breath of air that I have not had in some time. That's so good, especially with my severe ADHD. So, like, I know that I can like, sit, sit through and read this. Exactly. Like, there's a lot of comics that I love, but, like, even just one volume, it takes me forever to read through it. Like, Saga. Great comic. Right. Horrible for ADHD kids. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you know, if we're just going to be – if we're just going to be – picking and choosing here you might as well say that but yeah like i said you know fresh breath of air and at the very end of it i couldn't believe that i was done that fast i'm like no no no, i need to know more i need to know more of what's going on here that's why i just <laughs> totally look forward to, to to getting into volume two eventually too uh, i'm so excited just, to read oh, this yeah exactly well look one of the things was for me um again i'm a fan i'm a huge fan of superhero comic books i grew up on them um so while it is a gentle satire of superhero tropes and storytelling. Oh, yes. Um, it is as much and probably more a satire of Hollywood and celebrity, which is where I spent the last 25 years of my professional life. So, um, again, and just sort of getting back to your original question, I think that maybe it's a little bit of that merger. It's actually a love for comics with a bit of an insider's experience with celebrity. I, Not my I, own, by the way, but with those I work with. Oh, yeah. exactly. <laughs> uh, I mean, <clears throat> And now that you put it that way, I saw that in practically every in, in every uh, page of that work right there. I was thinking, oh, I see, I see it perfectly now, and it just makes me want to go back and read it again, just so I can look at the subtle nuances that you have right within your right within volume one, right there. I mean, it's just amazing. Well, there are, there are very particular personalities in the entertainment business in Los Angeles, as you might imagine. So I had a lot of fodder, um, yep. and then my family is the other fodder you know the june, june and arthur are both based on my parents oh, yeah. um and all you really need to know about my mother um to understand her is in later issues i actually think june comes off as a bit of a villain um but my mother's one complaint about the book and i was sort of geared up ready for her to be complaining about how she was portrayed was that she didn't have enough uh pages she didn't have enough dialogue so um it, she was fine with the way she was portrayed she just thought there should be more of it i I think I actually think I kind of agree with her on that. I think it it it, 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 pro it probably is necessary. I don't know. But you shortened your mom? Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! How dare! How dare! There's he. no book big enough to contain my mother. Believe me. Oh, not, not enough paper in the world. In other words. Oh wow. Okay. All right. That's oh, awesome. But you know, what I love about this work is that it's also gotten you involved with a lot of people and a lot of creators. Now, many of these creators, writers, and artists 
have worked for you on behalf of Darby Pop, like Eric Garcia, Bernard Chang, Brandon McKinney, and others. Is there anyone else in the comics industry you would absolutely love to work with that you have not yet had the opportunity of working with yet? Oh, honestly, that list is huge. Uh, <laughs> a huge list. It, it really is. That list is, I mean, you know, and this is, it's going to sound a little bit trite, but one of the truly one of the best parts of being able to make your living doing what I've been doing for the last 25 years or so in movies and TV is working with people you idolize. And I've been really lucky because uh, in addition to being able to maybe cast somebody in a live action program that I've been a huge fan of or work with a writer I've been a huge fan of, having done a thousand episodes of animation has given me a lot of opportunity to work with voice actors or actors in general, you know, to an incredible degree um, that I just always imagine, always dreamed of being in a room with. Um, it's very few people say no when you call up and say, hey, can you find four hours sometime in the next few weeks to throw on sweatpants and come into a room full of other <laughs> actors and basically put on a play and you don't have to memorize any lines because you can read the script while you're talking into the microphone. Um, and as a result, you know, I've had the opportunity to work with incredible people in that part of my profession. I'm only just beginning to work with that level of incredible people in comic books. And that's one of the most exciting parts for me is looking forward to who else I may get to work with down the line. That's awesome. That's and like, just amazing. And I moved out here to voice act originally. And then I just kind of started this. And that's right. You did, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. I moved out here to voice act. But. So it's kind of, so it's kind of <laughs> almost coming full circle a little bit for you right now, isn't it? <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Well, that's why I'm like, I'm geeking out so much because I, I grew up with the animated shows that we'll, we'll kind of dive into later on in the interview. But, uh, yeah, it's, this is so awesome. Um, oh. I guess it's gonna be my turn. Yeah. That's your turn, man. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you are the creator of Darby pop. And it says on your site that you enjoy Darby Pop because you get to work with your friends and, you know, get to be creative and just kind of make these stories and do what you want to do on paper, which is what we do here. Exactly. We right. love being geeks. We love celebrating, you know, geek culture. And we get to come together and do that. We don't, we don't, we like to stay positive. We like to encourage people to really love what you're passionate about. But um, there are some ideas that we can't do. And I'm sure there's a lot that you can't do as well. Are there any ideas that you and your creative team kind of really wanted to do, but you're like, ooh, this may be too risky for us? In the comic book world specifically? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't. I actually don't think there's been something that we've wanted to do in comics yet that we've had to say no to because we thought it was going to be going too far. There are, I mean, whenever you get together with creative people, you're going to throw around 100 ideas 98 of which are not very good, maybe five of which are just flat-out offensive. Um, but, <laughs> but, part of, but part of finding that one or two that you want to use is about there being no rules and there being, you know, being willing to come up with really stupid ideas to keep that creative ball rolling. Um, but, but as far as a form, I mean, comic books is actually sort of freeing. Um, when I'm working in live action, I have to be very, very concerned with locations and cost and all those sorts of things. And even in animation, there are real limitations. If I'm doing an all CG show like Transformers Prime, yeah. there's only a certain number of characters I can build because each build is very time and money intensive. There's only a certain number of places we can go because locations, the way we tended to do them on that show, were very time and money intensive. Comics is a little bit of a wide open slate. So creatively, I don't think there's been anything that we've wanted to do that we haven't done. I will tell you that there have been things we wanted to do or tried to do that I thought didn't work. Um, for example, 
I have I have learned now that doing car chases in comic books is a hell of a lot harder than it is doing oh, it oh in Lord. animation or live action. Um, <laughs> oh, I bet. And, oh, and there's a bunch of other things like that that you know maybe we've taken a stab at, and then in in rough art we've decided we got to come up with a different way to do this because it just doesn't translate in the way it, I saw it in my head, which was probably more as a movie TV thing than as a comic book. You know, the the you have to really become aware very quickly of comic books, both limitations and the advantages it can give you. Um, and that's part of the reason that I, I've worked with so many, you know, people who were much more experienced in the comic book world than I am. Like Renee Geerlings, our managing editor, or David Wall, who was the guy who helped us even start the company, Brandon McKinney, some of the other folks you've referenced. Yeah. When they say to me, I don't think that's going to work, or I think we may need to come at that a different way, um, I listen, because chances are they're right. Yeah. And th- we have to keep ourselves level-headed. And like right now, I have well, we a very... We try to anyway. Yeah. I have a very <laughs> worn copy of uh, Doberman because I've read this, I think, eight times now. I'm not kidding. He really has read that thing over and over again. He just he, he, he won't let it down. I love this book so much. I, I literally am going to have to ask you to pry your hands <laughs> off of it so I can actually read it sometime, dude. Seriously? It has it has a signature on it, but I don't know if you can see it anymore. <laughs> um, oh, Lord. Like every time I watch like uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia or like it's any cop show. I just have to bring it out and just reread it. Um, I have no doubt. Yeah. But (laughs) to explain what he's saying, by the way, Doberman was created by two of the original head writers, Martyr and Roselle. um, Of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, really? Uh, Yes. Well, I saw like, I remember like, it's Carly Day up there. No, I assume you knew that. Yeah, no, Martyr and Roselle are the guys who write that book. Well, there's your your reason there, buddy. I never knew that. And that's hilarious. Wow. Six degrees (laughs) of separate. That explains why in the back of your head somewhere you put those two things together. Oh my god! Sensibility-wise, it is very sunny in Philadelphia. See oh, now we're awesome. getting see now we're getting into six degrees of separation now. This is just getting to be crazy here. <laughs> so you might as well get on to your next question, dude, before um, it becomes five degrees. <laughs> well, with that, um, I, I know you didn't write that one, but for you, when you suffer a writer's block, or you know, kind of something that's preventing you from finishing a story, how do you overcome it? Especially like during crunch time. Um, for me, the best thing to do is to walk away for a little while and maybe do something completely different. Uh, the absolute fail safe is to take a shower. For whatever reason, when I'm in the shower, I seem to be able to solve any story problem that comes up. If I don't have access to a shower, if I'm in an office or something, then it's really just about spending five minutes and do something completely different or 10 minutes or walk and get a cup of coffee or something but try to stop thinking about the story problem. Um, and what often happens is suddenly when you get back to it, it's kind of solving itself. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, you know, and, and, and the other thing I'll say is um, writer's block happens to everyone that kind of, you know, being boxed up creatively happens to everyone. What you have to try to do is not let it, A, not let it stop you from getting back to work, or B, the easiest way to, I think, put yourself in that situation is, and this is what I, I talk to students quite often. I've taught a little bit. Um, a lot of writers, they'll finish the day's work. They'll start it the next day and they'll go back to the beginning. And that's a terrible idea because you will tweak and change and fix everything all along the way. The best thing I think you can do is pick up where you left off and keep moving forward. Because by the time you get to the end, it's so much easier when you have a whole thing that you can deal with. And it's probably much better than you give it credit for but it's so much easier to fix something when it's all right in front of you than to try to do it 10 pages 
over and over and over again. And it seems like then the goal of finishing is so far away. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that actually answered the question, but for me, it's do something else and a lot of showers. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's such a good answer. And like, that's a now great I'm, answer. I'm taking note now. It's a, it's a practical, <laughs> it's a, it's probably the most practical answer I've ever heard to date right now. about oh, how great. to solve Something like that. I mean, it's going to help me out because we're, we're in the middle of writing stuff as well. But, yeah, if, uh, if, you, if you if you get blocked on one particular thing, just jump past it and come back to it later. Like as long as it's not the thing that's going to send everything awry. Um, it, it, I, I was actually on a panel this weekend in Seattle, and an artist said something very similar. He said, "Every once in a while, I'll get to a panel or two, and I just I know it stinks. I can either spend a whole day trying to fix it, or I can just keep moving and come back to it later if I have time." And he said, "You know, you have to just come back to it." Maybe you won't have time to fix it, but it's one panel. And if yeah. the rest of the thing works, no one's going to remember that one panel. And for a writer, you know, one terrible line, one bad scene, <laughs> yes. it's not going to take the whole thing down. You're probably going to have time to fix it anyway, but even if you don't, if everything around it is working, it's okay. Yeah. You can always have that one line. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, no, I agree. I agree. All right. And I wanted to ask, is it a lot... Or is it easier writing a miniseries or a story where there's really no ending issue in mind? Like, do you like doing the ongoing world expanding and just kind of like figuring out, figuring out where to go next as to keep going or kind of like a definite end for you? Um, for me, probably just because I've worked much more in television than in features. I like the open endedness. Um, which doesn't mean I don't want to kind of finish off a story periodically so that I can move on to the next arc. Cause I do think, you know, arcs are nice. It's nice to be able to have some kind of satisfaction in storytelling and, and then move on. But, um, but I tend to think of setups versus endpoints, um, which may be more of a TV versus feature thing. Usually what I have in my head is all the, is, is, is like the, the main title. You know, I see that in my head first. How did we get here? <laughs> He's, you know, He's a, he's a cop. She's a nun. They're detectives, whatever it is. Um, <laughs> I would uh, so, so watch that. <laughs> oh, yes. So, uh, so for me, I think it's, I love setting up and then kind of letting the characters take you wherever the, wherever they're going to take you, as opposed to trying to start with a story and, and see where the story narrative takes you. That's awesome. Cool. That's great. Um, well, I heard earlier you referenced that, you know, you had, had, been into comics and all that and you obviously have written a whole lot now what comic book series or particular literary genre do you enjoy reading the most in your case um when i was a kid i would say the uh the sci-fi and horror genres were by far my favorite um and i'm also a kid who grew up on 70s drive-in movies oh yeah so that is has impacted me in ways both positive and negative for my entire life uh, you know, my first non-paying job in Hollywood was working for Roger Corman's company. Um, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> and my yes. second was working for Charlie Band. So um, that is, you know, that is the world that brought me into the entertainment business happily. Um, and it's still, it's still stuff that I love to disappear into periodically. Um, you know, I don't get to keep up anywhere near as much as I would like to on, on the horror genre today and sci-fi today, but... Um, Twilight Zone and Star Trek were incredibly influential series when I was a kid, for me at least. And and in some ways, Twilight Zone is probably why I got into 
entertainment at all. Just the, the, staying up at 11 o'clock at night on school nights and watching it on, out of one of the Channel 11, I think, out of New York on cable. Um, those episodes, somehow I just, I, I'd finish watching one and I would just somehow want to write my own version of that or I'd want to make my own version of that. And that led to me making little Super 8 movies. And I was really lucky because I was one of those kids who had a pretty good idea of what they wanted to do at a pretty young age. Ah, oh, so cool. Just amazing. Just amazing. Now, um, with regard to forming this new company, you had decided on making your products digital with IDW printing physical copies. Now, when you read a comic, which do you prefer? The more digital version or the more actual hard copy version you can actually hold in your hand? I'm definitely an old school digital guy. Um, to this day, I have never downloaded a song. I have way <laughs> too many CDs, but I've never downloaded a song. Oh, there you go. Um, so I'm all about the physical. And quite honestly, IDW was distributing our digital as well for the first two years. So oh. the, the, issue for us, the issue for me, quite honestly, was, again, coming into this world not knowing that much about comic books and not knowing much about the business. Um, I really wanted other people around me who knew more than I did. So IDW was great in that they left us completely alone editorially. We would just deliver them finished books. Um, and they would do some proofing on them and stuff, obviously. But really, I, I leaned on them for how do you deal with Diamond? How do you deal with retailers? Because that was stuff that was so foreign to me, I didn't think I could jump into both the creative and the business simultaneously. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense, especially with the whole Diamond thing. Like, because I don't want to speak ill because we're really close with Diamond, but it's kind of a monopoly <laughs> when it comes to distribution. Right. But, uh, that's true. That's all I'll say. <laughs> no, no, you're totally right. You know, without going too much into detail, you are right, Tyler. You are definitely We do right. love you, Diamond. But we do love you, Diamond. Yes, definitely. Now, Jeff, you were behind many beloved children's animated series, such as Stuart Little, Jackie Chan Adventures, now with Transformers Prime. But the comics published at Darby Pop are definitely written for a more grown-up audience. With Tiny Titans and Owly being successful, will Darby Pop go the route for telling stories for children, you believe? Uh, it's very timely that you've asked that question. Just this oh. past Wednesday, just this past Wednesday, we dropped a book called Bruce Lee, The Dragon Rises. And uh, that yes. is our first, that is our first all ages book. Um, oh, cool. and I, I co-wrote it with Bruce's daughter, Shannon. Um, who's and, uh, been on the network. We've interviewed you. Yeah. We interviewed her at WonderCon <laughs> yeah. actually. Yes. Um, and who was fantastic. Yes. Uh, and quite honestly, it was actually, in some ways it was, it was easier for me to write that book than some of the other ones because it was I was very comfortable in that world um, of, of trying to appeal to both kids and adults simultaneously and also a lot of the shows I've done were have been based on existing properties from the Transformers that you mentioned or G.I. Joe or Men in Black or Starship Troopers or Godzilla um, so again taking something that sort of existed and had a history but coming up with a way to update it and make it accessible for both new viewers or new readers and those who loved it before, um, while it's all challenging, it actually felt like putting on comfortable shoes to some degree. It really did. Cool. I like I like the way you put it. That though, putting on comfortable shoes. That sounds very nice. Yeah, and, actually, and, and, <laughs> and all ages is something. Look, I think we'll do more of it in no small part because my entree into comic books, again, when I was really young, was with the Harvey titles, the Caspers and the Richie Riches, uh, yes. and Dell. Dell and Gold Key's movie and TV adaptations, which I used to devour, and The Twilight Zone and Boris Karloff's Tales and all that sort of stuff is how I came in. Um, so while I love the superhero stuff, you know, we don't actually tend to do that much of it. It's really hard to compete with the Marvel and DCs of the world 
if yeah. we're going to do it, it's going to be a bit of a, a maybe a satire. Um, you know, Sidekick is another book we did. I didn't write that one. Um, but it's a book we did that involves the superhero sidekicks getting fed up of being treated poorly and going on strike. That's going to kind of be our yep. take on a superhero book. Um, but, but I, I love all ages. And I think in general, kids are much smarter than some people give them credit for, and they get much more of it than we give them credit for. And they've now been raised with the language of media. I mean, yes, they understand things in, in visual storytelling that we wouldn't have when we were that age nope. um, with time cuts and other things. Just so you can do the same thing in comic books. You can be, you don't have to hit them over the head. You don't have to spell everything out. They're going to make those leaps themselves because that's the way their brains are wired now. It's sort of amazing. Yeah. And they're perfect. Teaching. I agree. And stuff like this, like the, like that Bruce Lee story too. These are, I th- I believe they're perfect teaching tools myself. Yeah. We yeah. read the first issue at WonderCon and loved it. That's right. So. And Shannon's so nice and she's so smart and she, oh. it's awesome. Um, so the next question would be, are you able to bring any of your work from your animation roster? It's like Men in Black. Um, I don't know about Godzilla. I think that's owned by somebody else. But like, yeah, Men in Black and uh, I guess Stuart Little. But uh, anything over to comic books for Dobby Pop? We haven't yet. And that's only because some of those licenses would be pretty expensive, quite honestly. Right. Um, and, you know, we're, we're still a pretty small independent company. So we haven't, you know, it's all been paid for out of pocket by me so far, um, which has been a horrendous business decision. Uh, but creatively, it's so satisfying that I seem to keep doing it anyway. Um, <laughs> Don't worry, I know the, I know the feeling. <laughs> <laughs> we both do. But look, it's something I'd love to do because with something like, um, well, for example, with Transformers Prime, obviously IDW does those books. But yeah. there's plenty of stories I would have liked to have kept telling for Transformers Prime within that universe or G.I. Joe Renegades or Jackie Chan Adventures. So it's entirely possible down the line. It's entirely possible that down the line, you know, we will do one of those. um, And and there's probably an advantage to being a guy who knows those worlds so well when I go to approach those rights holders and say, hey, can I do a Jackie Chan Adventures book? Because who else should? Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You got it, the shoe in right there. But it hasn't come. It hasn't come up yet, only because you know some of those licenses are tied up because of they're making a new version of you know Ghostbusters. I did an Extreme Ghostbusters series years ago, um, but obviously there's a whole new bit of marketing and and licensing yeah. to do with Ghostbusters. Yeah. A lot of things uh, to consider. I can assume that they're very kind of like tight with anything Ghostbusters right now, especially since they I just canceled two movies. Yeah, they canceled I would, I the. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think they're I think they're tight with it. And again, I, if I were them, I'd be charging a lot of money for that license. So, oh yes, if they were smart, know. they would be anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I suspect they are. I suspect. <laughs> <laughs> and um, looks like we have our last question. And uh, the last question, this burning question that you know all of our uh, listeners will definitely want to know about: um, what future projects and/or works will you be tackling for Darby Prop that we can uh, look forward to? Well, again, the, the Bruce Lee book, the first issue just dropped on Wednesday. So we have, uh, we're right now just finishing up production on issue number three. Issue two will drop in early May. And, and you know, hopefully sales will let us keep doing those for over and over and over. Um, we drop a book in, it, it, it's going to happen somewhere. It's going to drop somewhere between now and early May called Fake Empire, which is Ooh. basically what happens when the Tooth Fairy is murdered um, and her sister's have to find the killer and end up discovering some things about their oh, own family. Dear me. Oh, no, we, we heard about that. I think, wasn't Bernard <laughs> Shank telling us about that? 
He might have. I'm not sure. All I know is that it sounds vaguely familiar, but I can't say for certain. But it just the description alone already has me sold. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, so there's there's a book, and this is a little bit you know a little bit about us. So I don't know if you guys remember, but about 15 months ago, we ran a contest, a breaking into comics contest for writers, and we basically asked writers to submit a 22 page script that was based on the character Stingray from Indestructible, from the first arc of Indestructible, and we had very few rules beyond. You know, nothing offensive, nothing pornographic, but you can tell a past, <laughs> present, future story about Stingray, but 22 pages, self-contained, and we were going to pick one winner and publish that as a special issue of Stingray, which we ended up doing. And the winner was a guy named Jeff Marzik, and we liked him so much and liked working with him so much that we actually published his next book, Dead Man's Party, which we put out in January, which is a fantastic book about a hitman who's told he's dying of cancer, uh, puts yes. out a himself. So you can go out in a little blaze of glory. Discovers he was set up and can't cancel the hit. That's so, the one you were. T- that's the one you were thinking of. Yes. Well, yes. So that's yeah. the best part. But one of the runner-ups of that contest was a guy named Eric Palicki, and Eric Palicki is actually the writer of Fake Empire, and is Party. related to Adrian Palicki, if I'm not if I'm not m- mistaken. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, and just because I had this as a forum, let me say that Friday we announced another Breaking Into Comics contest. So if you go on to Darby Pop's website or any of our other social media, you can read about it. But this one's actually for writers and artists, and it's um, one to four pages of story content for any female character in the Darby Pop universe except the characters in Bruce Lee. Um, but any other female character, whether a major character, a hero, a villain, one panel in the background, whatever it is, we're asking writers to submit a one to four page script and for artists to submit uh, a sketch of their favorite female character and some examples of sequential work, but it doesn't need to be specific to us. It can just be sequential work they've done somewhere else. And we're going to pick somewhere between 15 and 20 winners on each side, and we're going to publish a double-size 44-page anthology called Women of Darby Pop in the fall. That's awesome. And honestly, we we will lose money on that book. It's never going to sell enough to cover its own printing costs. But it's a way to break a whole lot of people into comic books. And I was really lucky in my career. I had mentors who really um, opened the door for me in television uh, in a couple of different ways. Um, and, and I've always felt like you have to pay that stuff back. And so it's a small way. Um, but it is absolutely a way for people who have been trying to maybe find a way to get published or as a writer or an artist to at least get a foot in the door, to at least have something to show that will be on comic book racks come the fall. That is so cool. That is so awesome. And uh, when's the deadline again? Uh, you know, that's a, I, I, I want to say it's the end of May, but I think that may be too much because I'm thinking in my head, well, that's like six weeks. That's more time than we ever offer. So go on to the social media, go onto our website. All the rules are there, the rules for submission, the form you have to fill out. Um, again, there's nobody's going to get rich off of it, um, but 20 to 40 people will get published maybe for the first time. And their work will be out there and people can see and it. Work, yeah. and, and look, the work that two of those people who got involved in our Stingray contest did led to us publishing their next books. So exactly. cool. So it can lead to one thing after another. So yeah. there's a snowball effect there in a good way. That's so perfect. That would be great. Thank you so much, Jeff. This has been awesome. My pleasure. Yes. Uh, it's just been amazing to be able to talk with you about all this kind of stuff. Cause, uh, you, you, you're really doing us a favor here with you being here and just learning all about how Indestructible came about and how Darby Pop came about. And I can tell you, it's nothing but miraculous as far as we're concerned. Oh, my gosh. Well, I, I really go- appreciate you guys having me. I mean, the, look, the, one of the nicest things about comic books, the, the comic book industry, I think, and I assume you've experienced this, everyone tends to be pretty accessible. 
It's really nice how the yes. fans really can just, there's almost, there's very few artists or writers in the comic book world I have found who aren't willing to talk for a couple of minutes, you know, uh, to anyone about anything, which is not necessarily true in other parts of entertainment. Yeah. Um, and, it, and as a result, I mean, you have a real engagement with the fans that I don't, not sure you get at the same level in some other parts of, you know, what I've done in the past. Well, there's that. And like, everybody's so nice and yeah. like excited like us, like we're exactly we're, we're just fanboying like insanely. Like yeah, we are. <laughs> my emails are just so embarrassing <laughs> with, you, with Chris, with you guys. Um, well, think, think about think about a con like San Diego or New York or even Emerald City, which I just did. You're talking about anywhere from 60, 80, 120,000 people in one contained space where it's probably really, really hot. I know, especially San Diego on a hot yeah, summer's San Diego, day. Yeah, especially Can San you Diego. think about any other circumstance where you're going to have 120,000 wildly passionate people, passionate about different things, passionate about things that may conflict with each other, and there's not like 10 dead bodies by the time the thing is oh, over? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's amazing. Exactly. It actually is sort of amazing. This is this will be my, ni my ninth San Diego Comic-Con, and every year I make so many friends, and it just... I, I'm a very social person and I'm very ex very excitable. So um, actually, it's really funny. When I moved here from Texas three years, three and a half years ago, uh, the only people I knew out here were from Comic-Con. And I stayed on a couple couches trying to find somewhere. I had people who were helping me get jobs. And it's been great. And I just knew them from a weekend a year. And then where I live now, there are two separate people who live two different apartments that I've met from different years and I introduced them to each other. They've been neighbors for years, had no idea. And now they know each other and we're all very connected, which is great. It's just the power of Comic-Con. That is <laughs> the power of Comic-Con. Anyway. But anyway, thanks for tuning in. You can check out our other shows and offerings on iTunes and visit our new website, thegrandgeekgathering.com. Go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review us. You can contact us on our site. To stay updated, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and we even stream on Twitch TV. To find Indestructible, check out Comixology or, or on Darby Pop or IDW's web store. Come back in two weeks for a roundtable discussion. Music has been provided by bensound.com. This show has been brought to you by the Grand Geek Gathering Network. Join the gathering. Have a great week and... GGG! Thank you so much, Jeff. Indestructible, baby. No I'm, it went much longer than you wanted. I'm sorry.